The Money Podcast by best-selling author of Money, Rob Moore, dives into how to make, manage, and master money. How to know more, make more, and give more. How to save, invest, and raise money. The Money Podcast is for anyone who wants to make more money in a job, profession, or passion. For money masters and money disasters. They say money doesn't make you happy. Rob says it does. Hi, it's Rob Moore here. How to be rich, the nine commonalities, in fact, 10. I'll give you a bonus one, commonalities of the wealthiest people. Now, this is a 15-year study in pursuit of mine. Studied hundreds of wealthy people. In fact, just yesterday, I interviewed someone who's worth, um, according to the Times Rich List, 445 million pounds. I think I've interviewed now seven uh, billionaires. I've read hundreds of autobiographies. Of course, I don't say that to brag because that's not about me. And I did turn my own finances around. I was about 50 grand in debt in 2005 and I became a millionaire um, before the age of 31. I'm 41 now. So, um, you know, I'm on the path of increasing my wealth and loving and learning about wealth and money. And by the way, the definition of wealth is actually not money. Um, Money and wealth are separate. Um, The history of the word wealth actually means well-being. And I obviously wrote the book Money, which is, I believe, the the best-selling book on money in the last, what, three years in the UK. At least that's what my publisher has told me. And to be honest, I just get really excited about business and entrepreneurship and studying money and capitalism and you know, how we grow and evolve and self-improve. And of course, money is one of those measures. Now, what a lot of people don't really realize about money is money is a universally agreed medium of exchange and mechanism of storing value. So no, money, it's not just money that makes success but success will often manifest money because money is the stored value that measures the success. So I asked this person yesterday who's worth 445 million pounds. I said to him, "Um, is it true that you're worth more than 100 million (laughs) pounds? Yes, that was true. And you know, what's your relationship with money? Do you like money? Do you love money? And he said, I absolutely do love money. He sees it as a way of keeping score. It's a way to play a game. He loves to play the game of money. Uh, And that's quite common with very, very wealthy people. So I have 10 commonalities of the wealthiest people. Now, some of these studies go back thousands of years and some of those are of recent multi-millionaires or billionaires and of course some of it is my own journey. So the first thing I've seen in every single highly wealthy individual is a commitment to a mission. Whether they wanted to make a dent in the universe like Steve Jobs um, or they wanted to disrupt the um, the taxi business like um, the founders of Uber or change the way we um, stay and accommodate ourselves like Airbnb. Um, Jeff Bezos wanted to be the everything store and sell everything online. And um, he, he wanted to do that himself with his own mission and not work for someone else. And if you look at virtually every multimillionaire or billionaire and well-being multimillionaire and billionaire, they have a mission, a cause, 
they're clear on their values, they're clear what they're meant to do, that they're great at, that they're supposed to pursue, and they don't let criticism or praise or anything distract them along the way. The second trait of the wealthiest people, past and present, um, is that they build resilience and accept criticism and resistance along the journey. So um, there's a quote at the, uh, in my gym here at the back. Can you see there? I know it's in reverse, but it says, people will hate about you the very thing that is great about you. People will hate about you the very thing that is great about you. When you have a mission, you are following a set of values to try and achieve that mission. And because no two people on the planet that I've ever seen have exactly the same amount of values or the same values in the same order, and priority, we're all completely unique. Therefore, your mission is unique to someone else's. And if we all have a different set of values and orders of priority, it makes sense then that someone could have a very opposing set of values to you. And if someone has an opposing set of values to you, they will see the world completely the opposite to you. So if you, you believe in capitalism, they'll believe in communism. You know, if you, you believe in being an entrepreneur, they'll believe in being a, a public servant. If you believe that wealth is good, they'll believe that money is greed and power. So when you pursue your mission with clarity and focus and volition, there will be other people that are manifested into your life to resist that mission. One, because they have an opposing set of values and that they have natural resistance and tension to you. Because to survive uh, from an evolutionary standpoint, we all have to specialise. If we're all generalists, we can't serve each other. So we become more and more specialised, hyper-specialised. So we're all interdependent and we all serve each other. The butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. So we're interdependent in that degree. So, that, so therefore, there is the leader and the servant. There is the capitalist and the communist. You know, there is the employer and the employee. And of course, they see the world in a very different way. And what will happen is people who see the world very differently to you will stand against you and criticize you because you challenge their values. Um, and many great leaders have figured out, many billionaires have figured out that in the pursuit of your mission and your wealth, you have to accept uh, great criticism. In fact, you know, the, the most successful people of the past, they would often be ridiculed uh, or even um, killed um, because they believed something you know, outrageous. Um, in, the, in the perception of other people. So often the bigger your mission, the more crazy other people think of it, think of it therefore the bigger the resistance. Now we're quite fortunate now that if we have a mission and a cause, as long as it's not illegal, we're not gonna be burned at the stake or deemed insane. But that's what happened to geniuses back then. So uh, you have to have the resilience to have the thick skin to take the criticism and to see criticism as feedback and a necessary balancing of forces in you and going in the pursuit of your mission. Um, when you become a millionaire or a billionaire, people will hate you because you um, have made money. They will stand against you because what, you, what they think you stand for is the opposite of what they stand for. Now, this can be built over time, um, but I think a great test of your mission, which was point one, is if you get a bit of feedback or a couple of people moaning, oh, look at Rob going off there thinking he's some entrepreneur doing all these Facebook lives, doing all these podcasts, gobbling off thinking he's the big, big I am, writing all these books going on about how much money he's made. You know, if one or two people say that a bit loosely and I, and I hate myself and I feel down about that uh, and I go off path, clearly that mission wasn't right for me because that's just a small amount of feedback. Um, so the third thing 
then. The commonalities of the wealthiest people, um, past and present, is creating utility and value in society. So your product, your service, what you exchange for money has to have utility and value to society. The more people it has value to, the more units you are going to be able to sell or exchange, and the more people you're going to be able to serve, therefore the, the more money you're going to make. So um, entrepreneurs are generally problem solvers. Uh, and if you want to cr create more value in your life, go and find out ways to create more value in other people's lives. So if you look at your products and services or your entrepreneurial ventures, do they create utility? Do they solve problems? Do they serve people? Could they serve many people? Because the more utility and value you have, the more wealth you will attract. Point four then is creating a fair exchange environment. If you charge too much, people will deem it to be expensive, a rip off, um, and you know you will get feedback in the form of refund requests and, and vast criticism and resistance to your prices. If you don't charge enough, people will take advantage of you. Uh, you will have to give things away at a low or um, zero or even negative margin. As that sustains and scales, you will just exaggerate the problem of lack of margin. You will resent your customers and clients because you'll think they're you know, having one over on you and getting everything for free. So fair exchange is where you make a sustainable profit. It has to be sustainable and it has to be enough to reinvest back into innovation and improvement of products and services. Um, otherwise, your competitors will out innovate you. That's the, one of the laws of capitalism and the competitive markets. So you have to make enough margin to do that. And that, that margin needs to be fair. It could be 20 percent, 30 percent. It could be 10 percent if you're scaled. But also the client has to feel grateful, the um, consumer of your product. You're the producer, they're the consumer. Because the consumer has to feel it's good value. They have to um, accept and be grateful for the margin that you make. Uh, and like I said, they won't value it if it's too cheap or they'll take advantage of you. Um, charity starts at home, as they say, and there's too many people out there giving too many products and services away for free or low cost margin because they have guilt or low self-worth and they're in unfair exchange. Unfair exchange either way won't create sustained wealth. Either you'll self-negate and lose all your money because you're not making a profit or you'll make a quick buck. You know, you see these things that look too good to be true. They make a quick buck and then society soon, um, soon um, chops them down at the legs. So the fifth um, commonality of the wealthiest people uh, is to transcend the emotions of money. So most people don't know what money really is. What most people think money is their projected values and ethics and morals. It's greed, it's power, it's freedom, you know, whatever they perceive it to be. When in reality, money is a universal exchange of value. It's a unit of account. It's a, a measure of worth. It's a, a good store or hedge of an uncertain future. That's what money really is. Uh, and the wealthiest people have transcended that money is good or bad and they understand the purpose and the function of money. The word currency uh, derives from the Latin curare, which means flow. So they understand that money has to flow. That's usually why hoarders don't generally tend to create a lot of wealth because money has to flow and move and grow. So um, any emotions you have around money that are negative or, or um, you know, could repel money because no one would want to be perceived morally or ethically um, something against their own morals or values or that they perceive other people will resist or dislike. Um, and if they're money repellents, like, you know, that they feel that people will perceive that they're greedy or taking from poor people, um, you know, or if they spend extravagantly, then that's grotesque. Um, if they have those beliefs, they'll repel money all the time. They'll, they'll just give it away. They won't accept um, fair fees. 
So you have to transcend the emotions of money and understand the purpose and the nature of money, of which I've just explained some. Okay, point six then is they believe and know that they are destined for service of vast numbers of people. So um, I've got uh, many friends who are worth 100 million plus. Let's take Neville Wright, for example, who's worth 100 million. He built the biggest online um, kiddie care retailer. He had a massive warehouse as well in Peterborough. It was huge. He sold it for 75 million. But he built the UK's largest online store for, you know, push chairs and, and, and baby gear. So he didn't have a vision to have the 16th biggest. Um, and he didn't want to just serve people in Peterborough. He wanted to serve people in the whole of the UK. And, um, you know, Amazon want to be the everything store and serve people all over the world. So the more people you serve and you know that you're destined to serve vast numbers of people and accept the challenges that come along the way, the more wealthy you are going to grow. And remember, wealth is money, but it's also well-being. Okay, point seven then is in the pursuit of wealth and riches, you will have repeated challenges, repeated challenges, repeated challenges. When you solve a challenge, what's your reward? A bigger one. When you solve that challenge, what's your reward? A bigger one. When you solve that challenge, what's your reward? A bigger one. And I know many people, like I said, at the 100 million plus level um, that say that your problems aren't big enough if you're getting involved in admin dealing with minutiae, focusing on critics. You don't have big enough problems. So don't focus on small problems, focus on meaningful problems, wide scale problems. I interviewed um, a billionaire, David McCourt, on my podcast, The Disruptive Entrepreneur. And he said, the world's greatest problems are the entrepreneur's greatest opportunities. The world's greatest problems are the entrepreneur's greatest opportunities. So it might be plastics. Uh, right now, you know, there are new problems with the lockdown. So if the entrepreneur focuses on where are the world's greatest problems for the greatest number of people, and then how can I create that solution? You're going to um, be on the way to creating vast wealth and riches. But you're not going to get it automatically. You know, if you plant a seed, you don't go back the next day and go, oh, where's my fucking tree? And a tree takes as long to grow as a tree grows. So you have to overcome challenges repeatedly, 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 repeatedly. But you have to seek out these problems and fix them. Now, I interviewed the founder of, the co-founder of Netflix in another one of my podcast episodes. And he said, I basically have this filter, almost like these um, glasses, where I go, go around looking for problems all the time. I'm always looking for problems, always looking for problems. Now, don't think I'm negative, but I'm always looking for problems, always looking for problems. And then once I find all these problems, hmm. How can I fix that problem? How can I fix that problem? And can I fix that problem for um, enough people to make that a viable business model? And then am I passionate about it to want to create a mission and a cause for it? Okay, number eight then is they are committed to growth. So the wealthiest people are committed to earning more, growing more, serving more, scaling more, fixing more, evolving more. You know, sometimes you hear people say, oh, well, the, the constant push and there's always more and it's never enough. Well, you never hear 100 millionaires or billionaires say that. They don't get tired of that. They see that as human nature. And all these people are, oh, I just want to stop and relax. I mean, oh, I've been working so hard this week. Oh, I've had enough. They're clearly not on this clear mission and it never is enough and it never is big enough and you never will serve 7 billion people on the planet. You never will reach everyone, help everyone, save everyone. So there is no end. 
Uh, and that you know the very wealthy know that and they've accepted that and embraced that they don't see that as a bad thing they see that as a good thing because there's always more to do and more to discover and they're committed to that ongoing growth what they're not looking to do is go oh, i just want to earn five grand a month and then chill out and do nothing on just want to sit on my laptop in my pants it used to be on the beach but i can't go to the beach now because of the lockdown so i just want to sit on my laptop on my pants get my five grand a month net passive income doing fuck all you never hear a multi-millionaire or a billionaire or the richest people on in the world say that they want the new problem the bigger problem the bigger challenge they want the scalability and they are committed to growth because that is the nature of human being human beings and humanity all right number nine then is they believe they deserve wealth they they don't see opulence as grotesque um, but they deserve wealth now of course there are some um, people who are worth nearly half a billion like uh, Richard Koch who I interviewed yesterday who says mm, I don't really have a fancy car it's not really my thing in fact I, I, I don't I, I don't even pay to upgrade update my website because I'm a bit I'm a bit tight um, but that doesn't mean he's anti-wealth or anti-opulence and if you you know he lives in Portugal for part of the year and he lives in South Africa for part of the year and he lives in Spain for part of the year so you know he has opulence in his travel and he'll have areas of opulence and some people's opulence is you know cars and watches some people opulence is travel and adventure but the wealthiest people but they deserve they deserve it they believe that they're they're destined for it what you know why were we born to live poor we weren't born to live poor we were born to live rich and wealthy and wealth means well-being and to have better well-being you know you might want to be able to afford good gym equipment and a personal trainer you might want to dress well and feel good about yourself you might want to eat really good organic foods you might want to travel and see the most amazing places and get the best experiences in the short time that we're here that's opulence just in uh, experiential form rather than material form okay and then number 10 the final one and if you've just tuned in i'll do a summary is that the, the wealthiest people alive past alive past <laughs> alive present and past over thousands of years um, they create a greater GDP and economic flow so if you imagine uh, a billionaire who tips a thousand pound a time and charters a private jet and then has a private car and dines at the finest restaurants and buys the finest clothes um, that creates extra flow of money in GDP that restaurant gets extra money those um, people in the service get the extra tips the 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 people who um, operate the private jet uh, um, the crew you know they get paid and then their family um, get to to eat and, and get paid so wealthy people create greater flow of money in GDP this is why hoarders generally don't get wealthy because if you hoard money um, you're actually restricting the flow which is the anti-purpose of money um, remember the word currency Latin carere means flow and money has to flow to serve its function and purpose and the more it flows the more it grows so uh, billionaires multimillionaires, and the wealthy people they understand that they tip well they're often generous they donate to charities they employ people they pay vast taxes even if they're able to reduce vast taxes as well um, and they create this bigger economy around them which serves vast numbers of people and this is what a lot of um, communist type or more poverty-based thinkers don't understand they think oh well they've got all these billions and they're hoarding it all and they don't deserve it all but the billionaires are flowing more and more and more and more and more and more, more money around the, around the world okay so let me summarize I hope you found this useful by the way and um, this is actually going to go on my money podcast so I have two podcasts you may not know one is called the disruptive entrepreneur that I've referred to two or three times in this with the interviews uh, and one is called money and this episode is going on the money podcast I think we've got um, well over a hundred money episodes I believe um, and yeah it's all about money so 
the 10 commonalities, or 10 commonalities, because there are probably more, of the wealthiest people, past and present. Uh, the first one would be they're committed to a mission and they stay on mission for long enough to make a good, vast uh, amount of wealth. Number two is they build resilience and they accept criticism as part of the journey and they do not let that defocus and derail them. Number three is they create utility and value for society, ideally vast numbers of people. Number four, they create fair exchange balance. Fair sustained profit to them and, and, and gratitude and utility uh, to the consumer. The producer makes profit, can sustain growth and innovation and reinvestment, uh, and the producer gets good utility and value, and they're both grateful. Five is they've transcended all the emotions of money, the fear, the greed, the judgment, and they understand really what money is. A universal exchange of value, a, a unit or measurement of account, etc. Six, they know that they're destined to serve vast numbers of people. They are destined for wealth and destined for vast service. Seven, they're committed to growth and accepting all the challenges that come with growth along the way and the next level of problems and the next level of problems and the next level of problems. They're committed to growth. They don't see growth as never ending in a bad way. They see it as never ending in a good way. Nine, they believe they deserve wealth, opulence in um, physical, material, experiential forms. And 10, they create a greater GDP and economic flow. Uh, and you know, they're not hoarders of money. They're actually very giving and generous, whether it's through employment or tips or, or service. Boom. Hope you found this useful. Uh, and uh, remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. And the two podcasts I've referred to in this live video, if you're watching the live, my podcast, The Disruptive Entrepreneur, and my podcast, Money, you can find them on all the channels. If you found this useful, please share it. I think there's a lot of people who would like to make more money, but they've got emotional resistance or baggage from their past or how they were raised to see money. And they actually don't know the laws and the purpose and the function of money. They don't understand it. And I think if more people understood money, I think there would be a greater flow. Um, you don't necessarily need to print more. You just need to flow it more. Um, so if there's anyone that you think could find that use, this useful or if you think this content has been useful, please do share it on your social media. Once again, thanks for tuning in. And remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything, which I've probably said before, so I'll say it again.